0: this day and age, um, I believe that the average data breach is right around $4 million, so you want to be in a position where the likelihood of it occurring is reduced by good governance. Uh, in addition to putting sensitive data into the hand of competitors or losing the availability of your product tool or service. A data breach can damage your company and brand's reputation. It can cause erosion of trust between uh, the company, its shareholders, customers, employees. So a little bit of, you know, a good governance, which in essence is just having measures to keep uh, assets, people, and, and data secure is essential. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I
1: feel as though a little bit of trust issues goes a long way. From Cobalt at Home, this is Humans of Infosec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My guest today is my good friend and colleague, Decca Elmi. Decca is an ISO 27001 certified lead auditor and a CISM. She has published articles in Security Magazine and was recently profiled by risk and compliance organization, Risky Women in 2021 as a woman to watch in the GRC space. Decca. we will be talking about GRC today. Decca is a first generation American with roots in both Africa and Europe. She has lived on three continents and is a polyglot who speaks five languages fluently. Decca is currently living in Austin, Texas, where she is active in her community as a library volunteer and a community leader. She's also a bookworm, a foodie, and a wine expert. Welcome Deco, we are so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, hi everyone. So, bookworm, I have to ask, what books are you reading lately? Okay, so I have
0: uh, two books on my nightstand. One is just a novel, so I can just escape and have fantasy. It's by J.K. Rowling. It's, I believe, the first book she wrote after her famous series, Harry Potter. It's called The Casual Vacancy, and it's a story about a, um, a brother, two brothers, and a family and um, homes, houses that are. I, I, I won't say anymore. The other book I'm reading is uh, an organizational psychologist, Adam Grant, wrote a book about givers and takers and how there need to be more givers and takers for an organization to thrive, and it's super interesting as well.
1: Wow, good stuff on all fronts. You know, I I love this question, and in fact, I think I'm going to start asking more guests what book is on your nightstand, because I think it's so interesting. And Decca, you are actually a particularly unique individual. As a Somali-American woman, who was born here and grew up in Rome, Italy, I would love for you to share your story and your career journey with our listeners.
0: Absolutely. I was born in New York City and uh, my parents were both uh, Somali immigrants. My father worked um, at the General Assembly And uh, he married my mother, brought her to New York, I was born and then they were transferred to Rome, Italy. He worked as an economist for um, a UN agency called FAO. So I grew up in Rome. I spoke Somali at home, I went to private English schools and then I met little Italian kids in the neighborhood and there was a park across the street and we had a courtyard in our building and so I spoke Italian outside of the home. I think that um, the exposure to languages and cultures really made me into an open person. Um, and it has given me the ability to to speak to anyone. Uh, the other thing about uh, my work and uh, this idea that I have of being a service comes from my father. My father used to always tell me when I was a little girl, and, and you know, he was a religious person, I'm not, um, there before the grace of God go you, my my, you know, I was a diplomat's daughter going to private schools, yet I went to Africa every summer and Outside of our house, there would be young children, you know, asking for things and panhandling and and asking for food. So he instilled and imbued in us uh, service, being of service. And I think that's how I wound up in security. It's because I have this desire to protect and serve. It just kind of dovetailed in.
1: It's fantastic. I don't know if your father's alive today. I expect that if he is, he's very proud of you. I expect that if he's not. He's very proud of you. Um, thank you so much for for sharing that with us. Um, you know, and 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 you have developed such an extensive career of over two decades of experience in software, fintech, banking, and more. Uh, you are an expert on security, third party management, and risk. I have. I have an awkward question for you. I (laughs) wanna talk to you about compliance. The reason it's an awkward question is because of the way I'm going to frame it. Compliance is often a huge driver for security, but some people think it's boring. It might not be the most exciting, funnest topic. I would love to know your perspective on why security governance is important.
0: Absolutely, security is governance is the foundations um, of security. If you don't have good governance, it's difficult to um, have the ability to protect perimeters and protect people. That is the most important thing in any organization, or should be uh, assets and data. You have to have governance, which is a series of uh, policies and processes in place that allow you to enable. Uh, access controls and control the access to facilities and and, and also digital spaces. At this day and age, um, I believe that the average data breach is right around $4 million. So you wanna be in a position where the likelihood of it occurring is reduced by good governance. Uh, In addition to putting sensitive data into the hand of competitors or losing the availability of your product tool or service. A data breach can damage your company and brand's reputation. It can cause erosion of trust between uh, the company, its shareholders, customers, employees. So a little bit of you know a good governance puts um, which in essence is just having measures to keep uh, assets, people and, and data secure. Is essential. And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel as though a little bit of trust issues goes a long way.
1: Absolutely. I mean, $4 million, that is significant. That is a board level discussion and topic. You know, I'd love to chat with you a little bit about going back to the basics. When we think about information security, fundamentally, Let's talk about those three principles. What are your thoughts on C-I-N-A? So first
0: of all, C-I-A or C-I-N-A does mean the central, inf- um, I think it's information agency, intelligence agency, sorry, but it also <laughs> stands for confidentiality, integrity, and availability. So over the last few years, um, most companies talk about you know data, data privacy. The fact that um, a lot of we spend a lot of our time in the digital space and that's this has created just, you know, entire rivers and oceans of data. So people talk about confidentiality, but they don't talk a lot about integrity and availability. And I believe that um, integrity and availability are just as important, if not more so than confidentiality. Integrity boils down to just protecting Uh, unauthorized, uh, protecting assets, digital assets, people, and also data from unauthorized changes. So you have to have good governance and good policies and controls in place to ensure that only authorized um, people have access to to, um, your tools, your spaces, your assets, and your people badges, like, you know, having a badge uh, to enter a secure facility and making sure you don't let someone in, even though that's physical security, it goes to integrity. And availability is a principle that sometimes people forget. And, you know, the point is people actually need access to their data. Your customers need access to the product that you're selling. So ensuring that your product or your tool or service or data is available to authorized people is what the the concept availability is all about. And I think that um, availability actually is something that can be pitched to boards and uh, uh, SLTs or ELTs because you uh, can tie it to value creation. Uh, You have products that you want to sell, well, they better be available.
1: Absolutely. I remember when I was on the eBay information security team, the company, our infrastructure teams had an availability requirement of 99.94%. And there was a calculation done like, you know, it was known and proven that for every second of downtime, every second that eBay.com was down and not working, the company was losing X amount of dollars. I mean, it was just so crystal clear. um, And I'll never forget that. Um, and then you know we've got uh, situations like uh, today. So many of our organizations are dependent on other infrastructures, you know, whether that be AWS or Slack or you know whatever it is. Uh, and then one of these you know big uh, kind of technology backbones uh, goes down, uh, and it affects so many different people. Um, so I think that uh, governance is not only important, uh, but it's also it's also so interconnected. Um, and, and and increasingly more so, um, Decca, how does governance help organizations to address their threat landscape? What even is a threat landscape?
0: So I, I think the threat landscape means um, the the surface area by which you can be attacked. So for instance, uh, if you don't have um, good controls in place, and say for example, if you have an instance of um, Confluence or JIRA, but it's not behind a firewall that could be exposing, you know, or increasing the threat landscape. So that's where, to some degree, I would say uh, identity access management comes into play. So access controls, password complexity, password rotation, or even now password-less systems. There are some newer technologies where they're using, whether it's tokens or biometrics or smart cards, but... Um, the threat landscape is what exposes you to attacks, phishing attacks, malicious internal attacks, um, the ransomware, or, or just, you know, people just burrowing into your infrastructure and, and causing, wreaking havoc.
1: Yeah. So if I think about, you know, this threat landscape, this attack service, what does governance have to do with it?
0: Governance can make a huge impact. Governance is a whole host of things. It could be you know, access management, identity access management. Governance is also policies in place to ensure that only authorized parties have access to certain areas. Governance, good governance can also be related to network engineering. Make sure that your, let's see, what's the word? Your network is segmented and it's, so it's not flat so that if a malicious actor gets in, they immediately have access to everything. Um, So let's, for example, talk about, say, for example, a bank, right? Every employee at a bank does not have the same task of simply preventing robberies. It gets broken down. Yes, they are meant to protect the money that the bank collects from their customers and uses as well. But tellers have a role. Um, They have instructions on what to do in case there is a robbery. There is an armed guard out there, and they are meant to be a deterrent good governance helps reduce the threat landscape by ensuring that everyone has a role to play and that um, policies and procedures are in there in place to protect the organization.
1: Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's talk about integrity and availability and what those have to do with business objectives and value creation. How does how do these things connect from security to business?
0: Absolutely. So it is, I think, important. You know, A lot of CISOs, um, and I know you're a security leader, have in the past historically had to go and fight or beg for funding, right? Many of us have been there convincing or pleading with an organization or its leaders that we need more money to protect the organization. Um, Availability, the concept of availability to ensure that all tools and products are available at all times can be tied to value creation because without proper availability, you can't continue to sell or make your customers happy or gain more customers. Uh, executives need to understand that security is directly tied to profitability and without availability or integrity of our systems, tools, products, and data, um, not only is the organization at risk, but the services are as well.
1: Yep. Decca, another topic that I want to pick your brain on has to do with third-party vendor risk management. You know, When we were talking about availability, so many organizations that provide technology, products, and services, they're all dependent on each other. What do things look like with regards to third-party governance these days? What should our listeners be aware of? So I, I would
0: say you know everybody knows that um, from I would say the '90s, more and more companies, and this is like from the titans of industry to even small and medium business, uh, medium-sized enterprise, have um, infrastructure that is. Almost like I would say, I saw some reports that said that 73% of uh, IT management is all third parties. So most companies are dealing with a complex kind of mosaic where it's like dozens and sometimes hundreds of companies that are providing different services. This is hard to manage. It can be unwieldy, and you know, not everyone has the luxury of having like you know, armies of analysts and risk managers. So I would say that the new things or the interesting or exciting things that are allowing us to deal with the just sheer volume of work and also maintain security and maintain um, access and availability and integrity and confidentiality is artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, there are algorithms and 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 machine learning programs that can just completely go through very large quantities of data, and they can parse through out on the internet just you know data packets and observing behaviors and, and pulling records. And you know you also have financial uh, availability. You want to make sure that who you're doing business with is fiscally sound, and AI helps with all of this. And a lot of employees worry about or people in, in the third party vendor management space worry about AI taking over for employees and you know, job loss, but actually it helps speed up the work and there's always a need for a human to go and interpret the, the data and then provide you know, risk ratings and uh, risk assessments and risk mitigation. So that's what's new and exciting. There are wonderful tools in place now that are helping us deal with just the massive volume of work.
1: Very cool, you know, I happen to agree completely with your perspective with regards to, you know, machine learning and AI not taking away our jobs. Um, I happen to uh, believe that there is truly so much work to do <laughs> that if, that if um, you know, we are able to use some of these tools uh, to process data, uh, to do things that computers are great at doing and humans take a really long time to do, you know, I think that is awesome. Um, Decca. as we begin to um, kind of, uh, you know, explore different GRC topics with you, you know, GRC, uh, we've talked a little bit about governance. Uh, We've talked a little bit about compliance. What about risk? What what does it look like? What does it mean to shift from a compliance-based kind of security program to a risk-based one?
0: Sure, so the way it can be done is, um, the way I explain it often at work and um, also in the industry, uh, when I go to social events and people ask me about this topic is, a compliance-based approach is rigid and, and static. And um, an example is a company can pass an ISO 27001 audit, they can pass a SOC 2 audit, but then you know things can just fall apart, and you're still basing your decision of whether to do business with them or not based on the ISO or or the ISO 27001 audit that was you know they passed everything. A risk-based approach is more proactive. Instead of focusing on regulations, a risk-based approach is more is more focused on identifying and prioritizing risks. So you identify the risks by whether it's through questionnaires or whether it's through you know using one of the newer tools that goes out and finds out and parses a lot of data about that's out on the internet about people and companies and organizations, and then provides to you a risk assessment. And then you can look at that assessment and then. Predict behaviors. So, if a company has done this and this and this, and if they had to file Chapter Eleven, and if they went through four CEOs, and how does that affect the security of a company? And I think that's a more accurate and be more interesting.
1: I think these are such strong insights, and I want to continue to ask you questions about these things. How do how do we, as security leaders, change? Any perception of security, particularly the GRC parts, as a boring necessity? And how do we align as much as we can with the business?
0: I would say that um, transitioning from security awareness training that uses, let's say, older, kind of outdated modalities that could be perceived as dull to more. human behavior-based training is, is, is really interesting and it's beginning to really um, become more prevalent. And uh, I think that um, also presenting to uh, security leaders, the realization that um, aligning the security program with business objectives and also highlighting to them how we are part of the value creation proposition. Because trust me, if you don't have sound security, you're not going to be able to sell or do well, and eventually something will happen that will affect the bottom line. So it's just more communication, more advocacy, and um, getting. Um, I like the idea of embedding or even training people to become security ambassadors. I talked to someone a few months ago, and they had these guilds, and where they had um, they would actually pick someone from a division or department and train them, and then they would become the advocate. And I think that's what we need more of that.
1: I totally agree. Love the idea of more security advocates. You know, Deca, um, as we're kind of coming to the end of our interview today and wrapping up our podcast, I want to ask you, what's next for you? What, what are your dreams and aspirations, both for yourself as well as for the industry?
0: Well, I think that, um, one of the things that I am passionate about is security communication and um, security education. I do this all the time on my own. Um, and uh, you know, people will come up to me and say, well, what is even compliance? And, and then I will you know, talk to them about these topics. So making it more approachable and more human is, is the way of the future because we need everyone to participate. We're all out there in the digital space and I want it to be secure and safe, not just for savvy IT folks and engineers, but also for the aunts of the world and little children of the world and, and everyone. It's everybody's business.
1: Totally agree. Couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's all of our data. It's all of our information. Uh, it's all of our value creation uh, and, and, and our data, no matter where it is. Decca, thank you so, so much for joining me today, for sharing your insights with our listeners and also for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it.
0: The pleasure is all mine, and thank you so much, uh, Caroline. I, I really appreciate this opportunity to learn a little bit more about you and also tell my story. I appreciate it.
1: Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen test as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of Infosec.